This morning we're, we're back into the, the book of James and uh, we're going to talk about wisdom this morning. This is where the study of James has taken us. If you remember, if you know your Bible well, uh, you know that shortly after Solomon was was made king over Israel, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, ask, and what shall I give you? You ever thought about what, what an opportunity that would have been for Solomon at that moment? What, whatever you ask, I, w- I will give to you. What would you have asked for? If you could have anything in the world, anything at all, what would you have asked for? Money, to be smarter, opportunities, fame, a long life, a healthy life. What would you have asked for? What is at the top of your priority list of your heart? Scripture tells us that Solomon made an honorable and noble request. 1 Kings 3.9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon asked for true wisdom. And later in Proverbs, he held high the value of wisdom for making life beneficial and worthwhile. If you were to be honest this morning, some of you really don't want wisdom. You just want rules. You really do. You just want to know what to do and how to do it exactly for every part and station of life. You want a rule book. Some perhaps, this is you this morning, approach the Bible as that rule book. You wish that it was written that way. You find it frustrating, actually, as you read the Bible, because it it isn't written that way. Instead, in the Bible, he he gives you a story, and he gives you real people in in real-life situations who struggle. And we want to come away from every story and perfectly apply it to our life. And that's not always the case or the intention of God. Not all stories are there to learn rules but they are there to learn about God, to know him. You see, if God had given us a hundred volume set of rules for every situation, you would love it. And you would rely on that book and your diligence to keep the rules and you would forget about God. You see the importance of the Bible now? How important it is to read the Bible. You know, see, if God had just given you a list of rules, detailed and extensive for every problem that you were facing in life, we would ignore God and just focus on the problems. We would forsake any relationship with him because deep down we just want to live a life free of problems. The thing that James tells us right at the beginning of this letter to the Jewish Christians that he's writing to is that wisdom knowing what to do when problems come. Wisdom is the answer, and wisdom often comes through pain. It comes through trials. Wisdom comes through personal confrontation from close friends. Wisdom comes through learning through mistakes. 
Wisdom comes through suffering that God brings into your life. You see, every time that my car breaks down, I have to figure out how to fix it. I had no idea I would be so knowledgeable about my car. If it weren't for breaking down and for friends showing me how to fix it, I, I wouldn't be as wise as I am now about my vehicle. And the same for our life, friends. For some of you, God has tightened the vice grip, so to say, of your life, and you're feeling the effect very strongly, and all you want to do is get out of the suffering. When God wants to make you wise. For some of you, you've experienced hardships through relationships, and all you want is for that to end. When God is saying, no, I want you to be wiser about your own heart and how you can help others in life. And for many of us, though, the pain and hard circumstances that come into our lives, God's bringing them there so that we will grow wise concerning our own sin and how he made us. And here in James 3, he wants us to become more wise. And he wants us to understand and be able to discern the difference between false wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and true wisdom, that which comes down from God. There's a difference between these two, and James wants us to be able to distinguish them, to, to see them for ourselves. So we're going to look at that. If you, when you came in, should have received some notes there, and it's a detailed outline, really the two wisdoms there, false wisdom, the world's wisdom, and true wisdom, God's wisdom. And we're going to look at the, the nature, the source, and the fruit of both kinds of wisdom in that passage as we walk through just these six verses. And so as I read these in a moment, I want you to keep a close eye and, and, and ear as you listen and read to the descriptions of these false and true wisdom. So if, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we have some in the chairs underneath there, and we, we encourage you to, to take that, take it home with you as your own Bible. And if you're unfamiliar with looking at the Bible, we're going to be on page 951. I don't want to embarrass you. That's why I share this. You know, the big numbers is the chapter numbers and the small numbers is the verse. So we're in chapter three, the big number on page 951. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. And so read with me as, as I read out loud, James chapter three, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. We're gonna pray as we get into this. I ask if you would pray for me and I'll pray for you. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ here, and we ask that you would open up our, our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning, that we would be able to understand uh, that the nature and source and fruit of, of these wisdoms, that we would be able to discern 
false wisdom from, from true wisdom. God, we ask that you would teach your people here this morning for your honor and for your glory. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as a, a precursor here, I, I wanna say there's a tendency in our hearts when we come to a section of scripture that is detailed about the heart of man that we might begin to read and listen to a sermon for someone else. I've said this a few times. I think we need to just remind her, I know I needed it. And, and I wanna warn you, friends, don't listen to this sermon for someone else. I understand that someone might come to your mind during this time that you maybe think is displaying this type of false wisdom, and I would ask you, don't focus on them. Don't waste this sermon. Spend these remaining moments this morning bringing yourself before the word of God and allow his spirit to speak directly to you. You perhaps may be blessed at the conclusion of this sermon and, and want to pass it along to others, but it should be always from a heart that says, God, you, you, you worked in my soul and I want to pass on a blessing to someone else. But we should never look to be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. There's one Holy Spirit and it's not you. And he's more qualified and he's better at it than we are. So let him do his work in the lives of others and allow him to do the work in our life, okay? James begins the description of false wisdom here, and we're gonna skip to verse 14. We'll come back to verse 13. But in verse 14, it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. It, describing false uh, wisdom here, these are traits that are the complete opposite of, of true wisdom. False wisdom has a bitter jealousy, a selfish ambition, and is boastful in the wrong thing. And James isn't making this stuff up. He's not trying to manufacture illustrations. No, as we see, Lord willing, next week, there's plenty happening in these churches to get into chapter four to illustrate what he's about to say. And he's saying that a man's character is where true or false wisdom is found. And there may be a pastor, a teacher, a lay elder who seems apparently spiritual, godly, and religious in their life, but reality is their character, their heart is ruled by jealousy and selfish ambition. And to have bitter jealousy is to be fierce in their desire to promote their own opinion to the exclusion of others. They are undermining one another. They're, they're fighting for their own rights. They are selfish in their ambitions for their life and their work. They seek the best only for themselves, regardless of how that affects others that are around them. And they always wish for others to have less than themselves either in possession or opportunities. And not only that, he says, they're boastful, proud of where they're at, and, and they believe that they have the wisdom of God, when in fact, they're, they're lying to themselves. They harbor bitterness and selfish ambition, and then they boast in that behavior. And he's saying, this is not from God. James is going to say that wisdom, true wisdom, is, is self-subduing and, and others-centered. And so this type of behavior is opposite of God. It's, it's anti-God. This should never be the case for Christians and absolutely never for those that are teachers and preachers. This bitter jealousy and selfish ambition shows that this man really doesn't have wisdom at all. It was all manufactured. It was all a show. There are pastors who live this way, who, who are jealous and selfishly ambitious and incredibly insecure and, and envying others who are unable to think the best of others, but only to think of their best interests. And they're self-focused and they're self-preoccupied and perhaps only pastoring for selfish purposes. And God is faithful to expose those. And he's giving us understanding on how to spot it in our own life 
and in the life of the church. Remember, this is still a chapter about the tongue. And as I said last week, the tongue displays the heart. So we should look to apply this verse to our own hearts that we have a tendency to harbor bitterness and, and jealousy. And jealousy and bitterness is really such a foolish thing. Jealousy, bitterness is, is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. It, it's silly. And selfish ambition, well, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you to go read that this afternoon. But here's an assignment this week. First, don't boast or defend yourself. And second, don't gossip or speak negatively about anyone this week. So it's a tongue assignment. On the one hand, don't boast or defend yourself. That's, that's building yourself up. And, and the second, don't gossip or speak negatively about someone that's, that's tearing other people down. And I want you to do this for the whole week. And you might think that's the dumbest assignment I've ever had. Are you kidding me? A whole week? Look, I would like to do this. And I, and I, and I would encourage you to do this. And tomorrow morning from 9 to noon, don't defend yourself or boast. Don't gossip or speak negatively about anyone, either out loud or in your head. Just try it for the morning, and then you'll need a long lunch, probably. And here's the reason why. You'll be amazed by how much pride and defensiveness and insecurity and superiority and self-righteousness, how much you need to put people down and how much you need to, to build yourself up and how untruthful and how unloving especially your thoughts and your words are. Because when you're defending yourself, you won't be completely truthful. And when you're talking about the other people, you won't be loving. Just spend the week thinking about your heart and your tongue towards other people. You know, we have enough to concern ourselves with ourselves. We don't need to worry about others. There's possibly remnants of false wisdom in our life. So that's the, the nature of false wisdom, the first uh, point there under false wisdom. The second is the source of false wisdom. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's almost what, like we should put quotation marks under this wisdom. It's a sarcastic response by James, this wisdom, because it's not wisdom at all. And James is clear where this wisdom comes from. He says it doesn't come from above, it doesn't, it come from God. Now, this false wisdom is, has three characteristics listed where it comes from. First, it is earthly. Now, this, this isn't always a negative connotation in, in Scripture, but it is here. He says that this has no heavenly point of view. It lacks any power or endurance. It is limited to what man can think up all on his own and has no lasting power. It's, it's earthly. Second, James said it's unspiritual, or your version might say natural. Now this wisdom looks more like an unregenerate and sinful mankind. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually, they are spiritually discerned. There's, there's no eternal benefit for the one uh, and for those they live with. It's unspiritual. It's natural. The third description is much stronger James says this wisdom is demonic or devilish. The wis this wisdom is, is a false, demon-inspired wisdom. 
It is not from God. It's not bring fruit from God. James is saying that these people that he's talking about, possibly these teachers, resemble demons more than they resemble God. That's why in chapter four, James instructs them to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because nowhere is Satan and his demons more active than in the tongue. This false wisdom is sometimes hard to spot though. You may say, well, Jeff, you just walked us through these three characteristics. It seems easy enough to spot false wisdom. Well, not so quick. Put yourself in this position. You're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus has just announced to you at a private meeting that he's going to be taken away and crucified by the Roman occupants of the land and the religious leaders. And Peter stands up and says, you remember what he says? We're not going to allow that to happen. Lord, we'll die before that will happen. And would you have stood up immediately and said, Peter, that's demonic wisdom. It seems right, in fact. We're going to protect you, Jesus. I mean, Peter is trying to defend his master. He's just looking out for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to die. And Jesus turns to Peter and says what? That's of the devil. James knows that it's not always easy to tell earthly or natural or unspiritual demonic wisdom from heavenly wisdom. And really, the only way to see if this wisdom is false is to look at the fruit. The third point there, the fruit of false wisdom. He says in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. For those that seek to be jealous and selfish ambitious in the local church, there will be disorder, chaos. Now, disorder sounds like a cleaned up word, but it really means unstable and turbulent and confusion. This is wrong and it can be seen by others. This chaos not only ruins the credibility of the church in the eyes of the world, but it also ruins the ability of the church to minister to itself, to one another. And James is is most concerned for this church, for these churches, for the unity of these churches. Now, unity doesn't mean that we all think and, and say the exact same thing in every possible way. No, unity means that even when we don't agree, we can still work in one way to love one another together as a body. And James is leaving no room whatsoever for people to seek their own glory in the local church. We leave our ambition at the door when we come in. We leave our pride at the door. We leave our own selfish desires at the door, thinking then of others as more important than ourselves. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you realize that you want this for the church, but that perhaps it's impossible for you to have this at work. I wonder if your job only seems doable if you ignore these verses. I mean, this type of wisdom is what the political world right now is, right? And has been. Does God really put his stamp of approval on what is coming out of Washington, D.C. right now? Or any political arena, for that matter. I mean, it only takes a few moments to read the Twitter feeds of our nation's leaders and to realize that they are not displaying true biblical wisdom. 
and they are not to be glorified in any way. We are to pray for them, but we are to discern their behavior and to call it what it is, ungodly. Name-calling, mocking, envy, bitterness. Friends, we are not to emulate this behavior. If you believe the only way you will make it at work is to put yourself first, to only push your agenda, if you're to hold grudges and seek revenge, then you're seeking the wisdom of the world. You're not seeking God's wisdom. And it will fail you. God's wisdom doesn't come through envy. God's wisdom doesn't come through revenge. That's earthly wisdom and it has no vantage point of heaven and will leave you utterly disappointed in this life. Instead, James has a better way for us to seek and to have the wisdom of God. And his ways are always better. And he says it's, it's true wisdom that we should have in our life. So I'm gonna skip ahead in your outline. Sorry about that. We're gonna go to the source of true wisdom first. It is quick because he answers the question very quickly there in verse 17. Where is true wisdom? It's the wisdom from above. The source of true wisdom is from above, meaning it comes down from heaven. And he is making a distinction here to what he said earlier in this book, that false wisdom is not from above, but is earthly. True wisdom is from above. It's from God. If you remember earlier in chapter one, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And God is the giver of all good things. And true wisdom is no different. The source is from God. The second point here is the nature of true wisdom. It takes us back to the beginning of this section, the verse 13 first. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And James begins this section of wisdom by asking a question, who is wise and understanding? Who is skilled, who, who thoroughly understands and who has knowledge and then applies that knowledge to their life? You know, James throws out the question at the outset to be answered by those that profess to have wisdom. Ah, you have wisdom, you say. James says, let's see it. Self-proclaimed wise people mean nothing to the church family. It needs to be proved. It needs to be seen. And James is clear here. Real biblical wisdom, true wisdom will be displayed. It will become apparent in the demonstration of, of good works and, he says, of meekness. True, godly wisdom fleshes itself in a consistent Christian behavior. The word conduct here means the behavior, the walk, the, the actions of the person. And true wisdom is far from being aloof or abrasive or belligerent. It will exhibit itself by a meek and gentle demeanor. This is the opposite of arrogance. True wisdom is humility. Friends, do you want to be wise? You have to be humble. It says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And James goes on a streak now to define for us the nature, the description of what true wisdom is. And he's gonna list for us eight descriptions of true wisdom. And we're going to walk through these here. So 
I'm gonna follow the list as, as James writes it in verse 17. And if you're one of those five-minute sermon people that you love just short sermons, just pay attention to this verse, okay? Write it down, pay attention, verse 17. It says, first, wisdom is above all pure. It means blameless. There's no stain, no blemish. It cannot produce anything evil. It means that God and his wisdom are free from any fault. There's no deficiency, and it cannot be accused of being sinful. And the only way to have true wisdom is through purity first. That doesn't mean sinlessness because only God is sinless. It means that our motive for service to him and all that we do must be from a heart of adoration and love to God and him alone. This is the, the pure motive for service. And it flows then to the other seven traits that James lists. James lists. So secondly, this true wisdom is peaceable. This is the opposite of combative. This is the, the one who promotes peace in the church family. Now, this isn't peace at all costs. No, there are times, many times, where we have to stand on the truth of, of God's word, and they may cause a division. You perhaps have left a church in your past that maybe had heresy, didn't believe that Jesus was actually God, and you, you had to stand on these issues. It's not peace at all costs. You don't promote peace when there's heresy. You stand on the truth of God. No, being peaceable here is, is something like hearing gossip that if shared could really upset the church family and you decide to let that information die with you. And you go to that friend and you encourage them not to pass on any information anymore. That's a peace-promoting Christian in a church family. True wisdom is peace-promoting it. It has the agenda to promote godly, spiritual, true unity among believers. Third, this true wisdom is gentle. This means it's considered, it's, it's even lenient and fair and reasonable and even-handed. This is a description of the, the greatness of character. And some just want to be right, and perhaps they are. Perhaps, biblically, they are 100% right, but they're jerks. And God's wisdom is not jerk-like. That's not in the Bible. That's, no, it's, it's gentle. Have you ever met a, a new Christian just, just recently converted and they're, and they're very conscious now of their own sins and they're quick to repent because they now see everything in their own life and they're, they're choosing not to, to do that any longer. And they want this mindset not only in their own life, but then they want it in everyone's life. And they go into the church and they set fire to things. And their, their, the desire is that sin would be can repented and turned, you know, turned away from and, and live holy lives, but they're just after people now. And they go after brothers and sisters over and over to repent. You need to repent because they're sensitized to those sins and they're very anxious to kill all sin in their own life and all sin in everyone's life. And in doing, they're not gentle. They're not, they're not kind to their brothers and sisters in the church. As a person who hasn't matured, they haven't learned patience and gentleness. You know, we see this most perfectly displayed in our Lord Jesus. Jesus was patient with his disciples. And if he had confronted them on all of their sins at once and demanded immediate obedience... What would have happened? 
It have all failed. To the end of their days, they, 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 like you and me, were still dealing with sins. So the person who is, who is true wisdom is gentle in their demands of others. Fourth, true wisdom, this wise person is open to reason or they're reasonable, your version might say. This, this means that they're, they're known to be teachable, that they're compliant, they're, they're accommodating True wisdom isn't always a monologue where, where you do all the talking and everyone else is just there to listen. It's not that you have all figured it out and others just need to be quiet and listen to you. And true wisdom is, is reasonable. True wisdom doesn't cut you off three words into a sentence. It will listen. And true wisdom will also let you interrupt without demanding justice when you do. You know, when you're around reasonable people, they're the type of people that are able to make friends because they're able to be wrong. They, they listen to others because they're convinced that others just might know something that they don't. They're teachable. In fact, they love to learn and they're reasonable with others. Fifth and sixth go together, I think. A wise person is full of mercy and good fruits. I think these two work together because a wise person is active in sympathy and compassion towards others. They're, they're full of it. They're, they're full of mercy. It's an act of sympathy towards other believers. They, they understand salvation doesn't just get them into heaven. It affects how they view this world and how they live. And because they're full of mercy, their lives are full of good fruit. It's really the, the fruit of the Spirit who works in them. And you can look at a person with true wisdom, and in some way you're able to see some of these things and say, I, I see the fruit of love. And, and, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in their life. Not all perfect, but you see it working in their lives. The seventh trait that James mentions of true wisdom is they're impartial or unwavering. What he is saying is that they, they don't vacillate. He's, he's consistent in his experience with others. True wisdom Wisdom doesn't waver between convictions depending upon the circumstance. There's, there's no double-mindedness. There's no favoritism, which James spends a lot of time in, in chapter 2. There is an endurance and perseverance and steadiness in his true wisdom. They can't be bought, and they can't be swayed by power. They're true to their word. A person of true wisdom is not shifty, turning to, to catch the prevailing winds that blow at the time. And last, he says they are sincere. There's no hypocrisy. They're straightforward. The, the wise Christian is no hypocrite. They are a person of integrity and faithfulness. They don't bolt when they don't get their way. And what they are on the inside is what they are on the outside. There's no dissonance working in their life. What you're trying to be a certain person around a certain crowd and then act a different way around a different crowd. No, there's sincerity in their life. You see, James isn't describing this true wisdom as a set of verbal imperatives. He doesn't give us a rule book here. He doesn't give us a list to just measure up. No, this isn't just do this, do that, and you'll be a wise in your life. Maybe that's all you want, as I mentioned before. And if so, you're going to fail at finding it. Instead, James shows us what true wisdom is by how it looks in the person's life. Because true wisdom isn't just about the notions that you assent to, 
True wisdom is about loving Jesus and allowing his word to flow out of your life. And a person who who lived out this list would be a binding force in the Christian community. And how do we receive this wisdom? If this is what is needed for our life, how do we get it? Do you remember in chapter one, verse five? It says we pray. James tells us exactly what to do in one, chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, this true wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. When you need wisdom, it isn't to seek the advice of the world. The answer is to seek the wisdom of God, to ask. And no matter how hard we work towards our perfection and obedience to him, we, we cannot fill the lack of wisdom that is needed in our life. And James says we need to ask God. It's simple, and yet it's hard to obey. You pray for it, friends. Do you want this wisdom for life? Do you want the fruit that comes from this wisdom? You need to ask God. He gives wisdom, and not just a little. No, it says God gives generously. He loves to give. He, he does it without reproach, without mocking you, without anger or anger or belittling you. God will give you wisdom, friends. You need to ask. You need to ask in faith, he says believing that God will answer when we ask. Well, last this morning is the fruit, the fruit of true wisdom. It says in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This last sentence here is difficult to translate from the original Greek. It, it, it literally reads, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the New American Standard uses the word seed, which is added since it's not fruit itself that is sown, but the seed of the fruit. Seed would then represent true wisdom, whose fruit is righteousness. And, and so the ESV of a, says a harvest of righteousness is the seed of godly, true wisdom planted in the life of a believer, which bring forth the harvest, the fruit of righteousness in their life. And just like the harvest, it is usually re-sown to produce more and more fruit. And the fruit of true wisdom is, is re-sown in peace. And it produces more and more. It's a cycle of, of growing and reaping. Planting, growing, reaping. And the trait that James emphasizes here, this final one is the fruit of peace in the life of one who is truly wise. There is a causal relationship between uh, true wisdom, genuine righteousness, and peace. True wisdom produces a continuing cycle of righteousness which is planted and harvested in a peaceful, harmonious relationship between God and between God's people. And James continues to hammer this into our heads throughout this book that the person who professes to be a Christian must prove it through their life. It's displayed. Their daily living as a Christian is shown if they are a true believer, they will be growing in true wisdom. And that wisdom will manifest itself in righteousness and, and selflessness and peaceful living. True wisdom will not be developed and grown through anger and fits. 
is only through those that encourage peace and live in peace with others. You know, I, I asked at the beginning of our time this morning that if God could give you anything that you asked for, I asked, what would you ask for? Have you thought of an answer yet? If God could give you anything, what would it be? I, I pray that it's heavenly wisdom, it's true wisdom. And, and heavenly wisdom would humble us. That's what true wisdom does. See, humble people don't envy. Humble people rejoice in the good that other people have. Humble people don't expect or demand the right to God's mercy. Humble people know that mercy is mercy. Humble people rejoice at any place that God chooses to show his kindness and, and whomever, he, whom, whomever he chooses to show his kindness. That's why I want to pray for other local churches in our area. That perhaps God would, would show uh, favor on other churches and maybe not ours. Maybe God would grow other churches and not ours. And that we can be happy for them. Because it's ultimately Jesus' church that wins, right? Even if this one shuts down, he will still succeed. So true wisdom prays to that end. Humble people are at peace. Wisdom will, will seldom come through envy and selfish ambition and prideful boasting. See, true wisdom comes through humility. And humility is best viewed in your homes and your work and in your church through the tongue. It's through the use of our tongue. Have, have you spoken evil of another person in your home this week? Have you pushed others down with your words while elevating yourself at work this week? Have you harbored bitter jealousy in your hearts about someone else in this church this week? How are you do, doing fighting envy and looking at others and, and wanting what they have? Are our lives marked by these traits of true wisdom that we see in verse 17? Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I encourage you, as you go home this afternoon and have lunch either with yourself or with friends and family, and then afterwards, open up your Bible back to James 3 and look through the list and ask yourself, which ones of, of these traits would this float to the top needing as most attention in my life right now? Which, which one of these do I need to pray most diligently that God would grow in my life? Would it be gentleness? Would it be that you would be more reasonable? Maybe you should pause and ask your spouse or a close friend or your kids. And what areas, ask them, what areas do I need to address in my life? Are you known as a peaceable person when, when tensions uh, rise at work? Do they come find you to diffuse that because they know that you're a peaceable person? 
Are you known for being merciful and, and full of good fruit? You know, friends, this list here in verse 17 should be our prayer guide. If you take anything away from this sermon, this verse is what you take away. Write it out. Memorize it as best you can and pray through it for yourself. Pray through this list in verse 17 for your family. Please, friends, pray for the church in this way. You know, we're going to talk a lot about this this year. I think it's an area as our church that we need to grow. And we're going to hand this, this document out that's, that's real simple. And the, the 27th, I want you to encourage you to be here for the family meal. And it's just a list of the people in this church. Just their name, first name, last name, and their kids. That's it. No other information. And the goal is that you would pray for the church. And you think, I don't know them. How can I pray for them? Pray this verse. God knows them. He doesn't need you to know them necessarily. I hope you get to know them, but pray for them in this verse. By the way, before that's even handed out, you can go online and get the list of the church people. Make that as a regular part of your, your devotions. As you read the word, pray for people. And read this verse. Pray this verse. Pray that we would be pure people. We would holy and just in our lives. Pray that we'd be peaceable. They would seek peace with one another in our lives and our, and our neighbors and our families. That we'd be gentle with one another. That we'd be reasonable people. Teachable. We'd be full of mercy because we can't get over the gospel. Because we see ourselves as God sees us and we can't get over that. And so we're full of mercy towards everyone else. And with good fruits that would, God would bring more and more, that we're impartial and sincere. Pray through this list for yourself. And, and if you haven't noticed, go to Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 of the fruit of the Spirit and pray through that list. There's lots to pray for. Are you humble? You know, humility and wisdom seem to feed off one another. Have you ever noticed that? The more you're humble the more you grow in your understanding of the gospel. And the more you're humble, the more you know that you have more to learn from God and from others in your life. And the more you learn from God and from others, the more you learn of your sin and the significance of your sin. And then your humility is even more encouraged and you are then able to listen better to others. And you listen to more and, you, and the wisdom grows more and more in you. Humility and wisdom feed off each other. It's it's like an unbroken circle of sanctification that's happening in your life. Envy, bitterness, selfish ambition. Friends, they are nothing like Jesus. Do you want to be wise? Be humble. Humility is the key. Humility is the key to attaining true wisdom. Humility is the key for salvation. And humility is the key that leads to peace. You know, peace is an important feature of this text. It's, it's mentioned a few times for us as believers throughout the Bible. God is the Father. God the Father is called the God of peace. God the Son is called the Prince of Peace. God the Holy Spirit is the provider of peace. God has come to, to make peace with us. And this is the peace that the world doesn't understand and that the world desperately needs. And our peace as Christians that we currently have is only a down payment of, a, of an eternal and everlasting peace that is yet to come. And we sing about this peace. In fact, we're going to sing about it this morning as we end. We'll sing, it is well with my soul. 
It is a song about the peace that Horatio Spafford wrote for us. A peace in the midst of suffering. It's a peace that's foreign to this world. And I recognize in a group this size that there are those of you here this morning that have no peace with God. And your peace is like little shards of peace. And it's fleeting and fading. Each and every day, every moment, more fades away and there's no hope of it returning. But in and through the gospel, you can have peace. You can have assurance. You can finally rest. And friends, in this life, the most important place for us isn't where we are right now, but where we're aimed, where we're going to, where we will end up when this life is over. And building peace in the life of the local church and in our lives is evidence to the world where we are going when this life is over. And then we will have even more peace. And the way that we show that we have peace as we've seen in this chapter, is with our words. With how we talk to one another. You know, our words are our thoughts displayed for others. And I don't know about you, but this passage should challenge us. It sure challenged me. Friends, do you know the peace of God? If you're here today and you, you can... Say, no, I don't. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time for salvation, as God says. The turn from your sins, turn from your pursuit of earthly peace that fades and will fail you and receive Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. Repent of your sins, of your selfish ambition to, to do it all yourself and to believe in Jesus Christ. And he will bring you into the family of God. And he will keep you for all eternity. And he will give you a peace that will never fade. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be able to come before your throne as Christians and know that we have complete access to you at any moment of every day. And God, I thank you for, for giving to us your word that we can know and understand you. And God, I pray for, for us, your people. I pray that we would be pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I, I ask that you would help us in each and every one of these areas. And as if, if you've pricked our conscience this morning, I pray that you would continue to work in us, that we would allow you to, that we would confess sin in these areas, repent, turn away from it, and, and to seek you, knowing that you will forgive us. And that we, we would 
reap then the harvest of righteousness that's, that's sown in peace by those that make peace. God, may we be peaceable people who love peace, who love to be ambassadors for you. God, work through us. Cause us to become more like Jesus Christ in all these things. For we'll give you all the honor and glory for what you do. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.